It is good to worship. Amen? Yeah. You know, it's been quite a holiday season, like I said, from Christmas to New Year's to all the football games, the bowl games, and more. We've had birthdays in our house before Christmas, after Christmas. I feel like my schedule has been discombobulated. That is such a word. I think it is because spell check didn't correct me. Um, and eating habits are way out of whack right now, okay? So I hope and pray that during all this time, you've had time as a family, hopefully enjoying it. Uh, if not with your family, with some friends, some time off from work maybe. Uh, but most of all, focusing on the relationship with the Savior of this world, Jesus Christ. Uh, a lot of times we get caught up in so much stuff going on with uh, the holidays, that's hard to do. And for all you Ohio State avid fans, okay, Roger, I'll have to admit, uh, you're right, I'll have to admit that I saw something that I liked, okay? Now, this is coming from a boy growing up in Indiana, okay? I saw something that I did like, besides an SEC team going down again, okay? Praise God for that one, okay? Um, I enjoyed watching my family celebrate. They had a blast. They had a hoot. My father-in-law and mother-in-law spent the day with us. Enough said. Anyway, um, but I really liked the shirts they put on after the game. Did you see those shirts? One, not done. I love those shirts. And I'm not, I'm not even an avid Ohio State fan, but I really love those shirts. I'm not a fashion guy. Most guys know that, okay? But I really like those shirts. Now, I'm going to tell you why, because as I looked at those shirts, they meant something more than just, hey, we, we won our bowl game, and now we're in the national championship. Hey, our, our season's not done yet. We have one more. We won tonight. We won the big game, but we still have one more to go, okay? It, it's beyond all that. I actually got a spiritual picture out of it, and that happens to me. You know, I'm the kind of guy, I'm watching movies, and it's like, oh, that's a great, you know, Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's like, oh, well, same thing, you know, God's Holy Spirit, His power, we've got an incredible responsibility. I sit there and I watch movies, and that happens. It's like, oh, why can't I just enjoy the movie? Um, but I saw the shirt, and I said, one, not done. And I thought about that, and it said, you know what? That's like the sermon series that we're in, like what I preached about last week, what I'm talking about the rest of this month. And what I mean by that is Jesus Christ came to this earth. God in the flesh, our Savior, came to redeem us, to purchase the price that we could not pay. Freedom through the cross. He resurrected from the dead. He brings great glory. He brings victory. And when we surrender our lives and we say, I can't live this life on my own anymore, I need help, so I'm going to place my faith in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and I believe that, I now have victory over death and sin too. I won, just like Jesus Christ won. But you know what? I'm not done. Just because I now have victory through Christ, and I have new faith in Him and a new life in Him, I've won. Look at the person next to you and say, I've won. Tell them, go ahead. Won, yeah. We've won, you know, and we should be celebrating that. You know, did you see the celebration after the football game? Crazy confetti, people celebrating up and down, smiles and faces. Why? Because there's victory. But yet we come into church on Sunday mornings without that attitude of victory. We won. There should be joy. There should be celebration. We won. We come in here, we won. But we're not done. We are so not done. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ is just the first victory. Living out your faith, that's the next step. That's the next part. 
we won, but we're not done. Now, last week, I established quite a few truths about our identity in Christ. So I'm going to just review real quick. I'll give you, uh, let's give you just three scriptures, okay? And I think we'll put them on the board or on the screen. Galatians 2.20 said, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And he, so I live by this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, bless you, and loved me and gave himself up for me. From Galatians 2.20, here's the truth that I have. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, he now lives in me. His identity is my identity. His power is my power. That was one truth we shared last week about our identity. Okay? Here's another one. Not only am I new and I have a new heart, I'm changed at the core. From Ezekiel 36, 26, it said this, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put in you a new spirit. I'll take out your old, stubborn, stony heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God says, I'm going to change you up on the inside from the core. That's my new identity. And here's the third thing from John chapter 1, verse 12, and that is, yet to all who receive, who accept, who take him, to all those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. So through faith, through my confession of sins, I'm God's child. I have all these things and so much more. And the same with you. When you confess these things, when you believe these things, guess what? You're new too. Your life changes. You take on these truths. And last week's message, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take last week's message, and we're going to examine that just a little bit more. But we're going to do it through just one Bible story. Okay, so with you, with you, uh, your Bibles in your hands, turn with me to Luke 3. Luke 3, okay? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some Bibles in the back. We'll bring them to you. Luke chapter 3. Third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, if you've been with us during the month of December, we should be familiar with Luke. Luke chapter 1 and 2, we went through the Christmas stories, <clears throat> or Christmas story, but through these scriptures. Luke chapter 3, we sort of concluded the Christmas season uh, with the birth of Jesus Christ. We had messages of expectation and hope. We had messages of celebration and joy. We had celebration, uh, messages of giving. Um, and so now we sort of move on to the next part, which is what? Well, years pass. Next character we find in Luke chapter 3 is maybe somebody uh, we actually met earlier in the Christmas story. You don't remember him, but you probably remember his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. His name is John, a.k.a. John the Baptist. Okay, remember him now? Luke chapter 1. Okay. Now some may ask, okay, so the words of John the Baptist, we're going to focus on John the Baptist. So if you're like me, you sort of like the really good, juicy stuff, right? Like, give me some stories of Jesus. Give me those really cool miracles. Give me those awesome stories that are just powerful. But John the Baptist, what does he have to offer? Is he worth listening to? Is he somebody we should pay attention to? Well, obviously, because he's in the Bible, right? Sometimes we fast forward through certain parts and we say, take me to Jesus. Take me to the writings of Paul. Paul went through so much. What does he have to say? Hold on. I want you to hear what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. Because after all, he was a prophet. When we think of prophets, we think of maybe Elijah and Elisha and the incredible miracles they did. Or maybe Isaiah. 
But what about John the Baptist? This is what Jesus said, Matthew 11, 11. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, let's think about this for a moment. Of all who've ever lived, who would that include? Let me hear you say everyone. Okay. None is greater than John the Baptist. Oh. Imagine you're hanging out with Jesus and says, hey, hey, of all the people that have ever lived from now past, of all the people that have ever lived, no one's greater than John the Baptist. You did go on to finish saying this, yet the least person, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than I. It's sort of a confusing, or I'm sorry, greater than he is. It's sort of a confusing thing. It's like, wait, wait, what do you mean? Oh, John the Baptist was awesome, but even the least person in the kingdom of heaven, not one is greater than he is. Okay, so he was really incredibly important, right? But yet God sort of evens out the playing field and said, but yet again, he's children of God. He's not walking around, pumping his chest, saying, I'm better than all you. No, no, just like you and I. But Jesus considered him to be a great person. So what did John the Baptist have to say? Let's start in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. I think it's important that we figure this out, okay? It was now the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came from the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Now, pause for a moment. Again, a lot of times we just flash right over that because, ooh, look, a bunch of words and names that we're all going to mispronounce. We're not going to say it correctly the way they were pronounced back in biblical times. So let's just pass over them, right? Okay? But hold on a second. It's important that we do read that. Okay? Take notice of the multiple leaders listed in the author by Luke. Now remember, Luke was a physician, intelligent man, loves detail. He loves documentation. He loves to study. He wants to discover new things, okay? So he records the names of each of these leaders, which is awesome because that allows us to go back in other history books, cross-reference locations, names, dates, and discover this is all accurate. This is all true. A lot of times people say, well, I don't know how accurate it is. It's very accurate. Matter of fact, thanks to Luke and other authors of the Bible, they did this. They put locations and dates and names so that we could cross-reference and discover, wow, pinpoint right on. Okay. So Luke also, though, does this. He reveals a powerhouse of leaders. Did you see all he listed? Tiberius, a Roman emperor, Pilate, Herod, Caiaphas, the high priest, all leaders of great position according to powers and titles. They're at the top. From, from Rome to what's going on right there and maybe Jerusalem, Judea, and all throughout that region. These are the top dogs, okay? They're at the top. But guess who upstages them all in this story? John the Baptist, right? Great leaders, great leaders. But let me tell you about John the Baptist. No title, no palace, no deep pockets of financial wealth, no wardrobe, wardrobe, okay, let's remember this. He wore a robe made out of camel's hair, ate locusts, lived in the wilderness, okay? So for all you like wilderness man or man versus wild with Bear grills, okay, John the Baptist had one on him, okay? So before those shows, there was John the Baptist. Tough man, lived in the wilderness, comes out of nowhere, prophet of God, with great things to say. Now we learn that greatness here, I love this, is not measured by power. 
by fame, by wealth or beauty. Greatness is not determined by championships and rings and popularity like we do it today, right? If you win a Super Bowl championship, you win a bowl game, you, you are voted MVP or you're the president or CEO of a business, then, then you have something to say because you're in a position of what? Greatness, right? That's the way we measure things today. And again, I love Luke lists all these great titles, all these great positions, all these positions of authority and power, but he said, let me tell you about John the Baptist. Eats locusts, wears camel hair robe, okay? A little out of style, okay? Lives in the wilderness, but no one's greater than he is. It's an incredible message. He's going to leave an incredible legacy. If you think about this, greatness is measured by faith. Not by what you have in your pocket, in your bank account, or who you're married to, or the rings you have, or the championships you won. Greatness is measured by faith. All those other things fade away. Ask anybody in this room who's ever been part of a, a championship, or who's been part of something great. Remember growing up, especially all the adults, okay? Growing up, let me ask you, where are all your certificates and trophies at, okay? Your grand champion. I've got a couple grand champion 4-H trophies, you know, and that kind of stuff. Let me tell you where my, my 4-H pig trophies are and my state championship stuff from football are at. They're in a box down in the basement. Pull them out every now and then, like, oh, I remember one. That was awesome. Okay, back in there. Right? That was a great part of my life. Loved every minute of it, right? But is that how I'm measured by those things? A man is measured by his faith. Greatness is measured by faith. Those are all great accomplishments, but those things fade away. Guess what? Your name and reputation never fade away. Who you are and what you've done for Jesus Christ really does matter. So what did this great man of God, this original wilderness prophet share? What was his message? Let's continue to read verse 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they repented of their sins and they turned to God to be forgiven. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Find forgiveness. Okay? To repent is this, because sometimes I think we get a little confused on this. Well, I repented. What does repent mean? Repent means that you're going to turn away. So if, if I'm moving this direction towards sin right now, okay, I'm really messing up my life. I'm going into sin right now. Repent is this. I'm going to turn away from that lifestyle. But repent also means this. I'm not only turning away from that sin, I'm turning to something else question is, what am I turning to? So when we repent of our sins and we ask for forgiveness, we turn to God. Did you catch that last part what we need to do? Is turn to who? Turn to God. Read that again. They had repented of their sins, verse 3, show them how that they had repented of their sins and they turned to God. Repent is to turn away from that lifestyle and to turn to God. A lot of us stop at that first part. I'm turning away from my sin. And that, that's good enough, right? You must also turn not only away from something, you must turn to someone. And that is God. And that was the message that John the Baptist was preaching. He's going around telling everybody, listen, you're messing up. Your lives are rough. I get it. I get it. Turn away from it. And turn to God. Repent. Turn to God. Find forgiveness. Your sins will be wiped clean. Read on. Look at verse 4. So here's the prophet, John the Baptist, now referring back to Isaiah. Isaiah had spoken, of, uh, had spoken of John when he said this. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. 
Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And all the people will see the salvation is sent from God. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. In those days, when a king or a great ruler was coming into town, this is what we do. I'd get a messenger and I'd say, hey, the king is going to be coming to that city. Send him out make sure the roads are clear. Okay? If there's anything blocking the roads, clear it. If there's holes, fill them. Call up ODOT. Call who you need to call. Make sure those roads are ready, right? We need to make sure we can travel. We need to make sure the king gets there as safely as possible with no distraction, no slowing down. Let's prepare the way. So that's what they did. Now please do, do me a favor. Don't confuse this writing with what some people think. Some people take the scripture and they completely miscommunicate it. This is what happens. Some would believe that John is saying here, hey, preparing a way for Jesus, here's what we have to do. We have to get rid of our sins so that Jesus has prepared a way to come into our life. That's what some people take the scripture. In other words, I've got to clean up my life before I get back with God. Before I go to church, I need to get my life right with God. Let me tell you something right now. That doesn't make sense. Because you can't clean up your life. You can't get right with God without God getting you right. You know what I'm saying on that? I can't take care of sin on my own. I can't defeat sin on my own. I can't eliminate sin on my own. It's Jesus Christ who does that. So I need his help to help me eliminate that, get rid of it, so that I can go on and be victorious. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Savior of this world can take away our sins. If you wait to get rid of sin or clean up before you go back to church or living for Jesus, guess what? You never will. Because only He can make you righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't turn yourself around. Only Jesus can. So the prophets here are referring to something else. Look at verse 7. When the crowds came to John the Baptist, he said, You brood of snakes. He's getting really, really upset here, okay? Um, I don't know if I can fast forward this into modern day language. Let's just say his face was probably red. He was probably spitting as he was talking. And he's looking at religious leaders and people. And he says this, Who warned you to flee of God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, Hey, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Now look at verse 8. We, we discover this. Being religious doesn't mean anything. Just because your family was religious, that doesn't mean anything. Okay? Just because your parents went to church doesn't make you right with God. Just because your spouse goes to church doesn't make you right with God. Or just because you go to church doesn't make your spouse right with God. Just because you go to church doesn't make your kids right with God. And just because your kids go to church doesn't make you right with God. There's no relationship, religious connection going on there. And that's what a lot of these people thought. Well, we're descendants. We're related to Abraham. Therefore, we're good with God. John the Baptist said, no, that's not the way it works. Just because you're related to somebody that goes to church doesn't make you right with God. John the Baptist is tired of seeing these people play church. Because that's what they've been doing. They've been playing church, acting like 
believers, having it all together, saying all the right things, sounding really religious. We, we, do, we can do good at that. I can do good at that. You know, say, well, praise God. Isn't it just wonderful what God's done for us today? Oh, hallelujah. That's just awesome. I've been praying. I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sis. We do a good job talking church sometimes. But sometimes that's all we're doing is talking. And that's what was happening here. Saying all things, sounding really religious. religious and, and basically John the Baptist says, stop it. Prove it. Prove it. He wants to see it. proof. Prove by the way you live that you're right with God. Show me your faith in action. That's what John the Baptist says. As a matter of fact, James, brother of Jesus, who also said this in the New Testament, in James chapter 2, verse 17, he said, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, I know we've got some farmers here in, the, in our church, okay? Now, you can go up to any one of these guys that farm in our church and say, Hey, tell me about the spring. How's the spring? Did you go out and do a lot of planting? And did you, did you toil the and work the ground and make it all ready and then go out and plant. Oh yeah, we did. They could talk up, talk up, talk up. But you know what? What they want to see is proof. Not just that they talked about getting out in the field and planting, but they want to see something produced. They want to see things coming out of the ground. That their hard work and not just their talk about what they're going to do with their plans, but they want to see proof, right? And that's what John the Baptist is saying. You don't just confess and do nothing. You don't just say one thing and do nothing. I mean, this past week, some of us probably made some New Year's resolutions, right? Think about, did anybody, let me ask you this. Be honest with me, okay? Did anybody here say, this year I'm going to, whether it's a New Year's resolution or whatever you want to call it, did anybody say, this year, 2015, I'm going to do something, and you sort of made a vow, a, a promise, a, a hope, maybe a slight prayer. Did anybody do that? Raise your hand. I'm sort of curious. Anybody did? So some of you did, okay? Some of you did that. Okay. Here's the deal. I think a lot of us don't do that anymore because we know in a week or two, we're not, we're not we're going to fail, right? So we said, I'm not even making those. I'm not going to do that anymore, right? Some of us do that. I'm going to do better with my finances. I'm going to lose weight. You know, I'm going to have better relationships. Okay? Let's, let's, like, I'm going to do better with my finances. I'm so excited about this. I'm not going to spend if I don't have to spend. I'm going to do better with my finances. <gasps> Macy's got a 20% sale going on tomorrow. Get out of my way. I'm going, right? Okay. See, we say one thing, but we don't do it. Again, that's sort of what we're talking about here. Turning from sin, confessing, getting right with God has to be connected with action. Words and actions must meet up. If not, it's time to get serious about something. It's time maybe to get serious about having somebody walk with you and discipling you. You know, we did that D90X a year ago and said, hey, let's work on getting discipleship partners, that kind of thing. Find somebody to help you out. Maybe it's time again to go back and say, you know what? I want to get serious about not just talking about being a Christian, but I want to prove it. I want to live it out. I want my actions there. I'm going to go back to somebody, find somebody, just disciple me, help me out. Help me out. I want to, I want to follow through. John's getting fired up, okay? So he sort of tosses out this wake-up call in the next verse. Check it out, verse 9. Even now, as the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees, yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown in the fire. John's getting feisty. God's got his axe, man. I'm telling you right, you better produce. Otherwise, you're like a tree. You're just going to get chopped down and thrown in the fire. Gee, John, tell us how you really feel about all this. All right? He's getting, again, I wish we could have seen this live in action. 
um, because it's so hard when you just read it off, off of the page of the Bible. It's like, I wonder what was going on. I wonder what his motive and motion was. What did his facial expressions were? Was is he throwing his hands around like this? I'm chopping down, throwing the fire. We don't know. Was he sweating? Was I don't know. I believe he was getting fired up because that's a wake-up alarm right there. It should wake us up too. Judgment's coming. If you don't produce, you get the axe. You ever heard that before at work? If you don't produce, you're gone. You ever heard that before? I want to tell you something. Entitlement, let me hear you say entitlement. That's not in God's vocabulary, by the way. It's not in God's vocabulary in the sense that we know it. You know, just because your dad owns the business or just because your mom's on the board, okay, or just because your co- cousin is the coach or just because your friend owns the store or just because you're a senior, you're not entitled to all those freebies. A lot of times we think, well, because I'm related to so-and-so, because I'm a senior, because I'm a this, I should get this. I'm entitled to it. It's not in God's vocab. Listen, you don't produce, you're gone. Whether you've heard that at work, in school, or practice, John's sort of saying the same thing. It's like, wake up. Quit talking church and start being the church. This created a stir. Okay, listen very carefully. There were no arguments. It wasn't like some of the religious leaders and some of the people there said, oh, we disagree with you, John. Well, John, who are you to say that? We're not going to listen to you. Look at their response. Look at their response. Sometimes our ego gets so big, our pride swells up so much, we don't want to listen to what somebody has to say or what God has to say. These people, their hearts were ripped open. Check out what they said. Basically, they just replied with one question. That was this. What should we do? What should we do? The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share with those who are hungry. Even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Verse 14, some soldiers then asked, what should we do? John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. One question answered by multiple people. What do we do? What do we do? We want to believe. We want to confess our sins. Now what do we do? How do we be the church? How do we now, you know, we've won. I've confessed. But I'm not done. What am I supposed to do now? Here's the answer. Listen, everybody. You've won, but you are not done. Here's what you need to do. The first person he talked to, the first ones he says, is share what you have with others. Got extra? Give it away. Extra food, extra clothes, give them away. Share with those who need. Look at the next thing he said, the, the, the tax collectors. Hey, you know whatever your job is, do it well. Instead of saying, well, I'm only this, and that lists your occupation, forget that. Your occupation, whatever God's called you to do, matters. So do it well. Do your job with integrity and honesty. Don't lie, don't cheat. Uh, your bosses, your employers, whoever it is, whoever you're providing a service for, see how, you're, how you work, your integrity matters. He's talking to tax collectors. They're the ones that were cheating everybody. People hated them. Oh, then he looked at the soldiers. The soldiers, the people didn't like them either because they're occupying their territory. They didn't like them either. The soldiers were like, what are we supposed to do? Help us out. He said, be content with what you have. Be content with your pay. You don't think the government pays you much? Okay, it's fine. But be content with it. Don't extort others. Don't use your power to get more money from other people. Be content with what you receive. Give thanks more often. You know, this was their chance to live out their new identity. They had won, but they were not done. 
And that's sort of what we see these, these people as a wake-up call. They, it wasn't about, hey, you know what? I just want to avoid punishment. I don't like that little tree, axe thing, fire. No, it wasn't about that. Because a lot of times we say, hey, I don't want to face the judgment of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to be thrown in hell. You know, it's beyond that. You know what it is? It's mercy and grace. It's what he offers to taste that. The mercy of Jesus Christ, the grace of our God, the approval of him. So let me ask you some questions. How about you? Okay? This is that point in the sermon where we sort of stop, sort of bring it back in, okay? Have you repented of your sins? Only you can answer that question. Have you repented of your sins? If John the Baptist was up here this morning wearing his camel hair robe, okay, snacking a few locusts while he's talking to y'all, then calling you a bunch of brood of vipers, and then sort of laying it down, that's been my Okay? Have you repented of your sins? Have I repented of my sins? Have we turned away from them and turned to God? That's the first thing we've got to answer. Okay. As a child of God, let me ask you this question now. Are you now living it out? Are you putting your faith into action? Or are you just hanging on your faith? We have won. But we are not done. Look at the person next to you and tell them, we've won, but we're not done. Go ahead and tell them. That's right. We have won, but we are not done. You know, here's the deal. This 2015 is New Year. Many of you are going to be writing 2014. Oh, scratch. Five, okay? You're going to be doing that, okay, for the next couple weeks. Trying to get back in the mode. It's a new year. It's a new year. It's a new year. Some of you looked at 2014, and you're like, I'm so glad. Good riddance, 2014, you know? Some of you are a little upset because you met that deductible way early, okay? Now you've got to start that deductible all back up again for the new year, right? Some of you are like, oh, 2014, that was really awesome. There's some great things to celebrate. I can't wait to see what 2015 has to offer, and maybe some more. We, we come from all different places, right? We are now moving into 2015. As we move into 2015, I want you to keep this in mind. One not done. One not done. I don't care. Go buy. I don't know. Michigan fans are cringing right now. Notre Dame fans are like, what are you saying, Rex? Okay? But if you want to go buy an Ohio State fan type shirt that says one not done. I don't care. Make up your own shirts. One not, put it somewhere, but just think one not done. You know what? We've won. We have victory through Jesus Christ, but we're not done. We're not done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here right now. Uh, we're going to close out with another song of worship. As we talk, and I think we're singing Thrive, but I want us that attitude of, you know what? It's not just surviving. It's thriving. It's not just, well, we're done. No, we're not done. We've won, and we are so not done. As we move into 2015, let me just say this. Um, Christian, do we have the scripture yet? Sorry, worship team, I called you up here. I'm just going to throw that scripture up real quick and then stay right here. Um, there's some pieces of scripture I want to see. Because the first one is, is James 1, 2 to 4. Whatever obstacles you're going to face this year, turn those into opportunities. Turn them into opportunities. Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, and they will... Consider it for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Obstacles will come in 2015. Turn them into opportunities. Focus on the forward, not on the past. I know stuff happened last year and the years before. Let's focus forward now. Paul said this, Philippians 3, 13 to 14, Dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it yet, but I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the end of the race 
receive the heavenly prize for which God's called through Christ, who is calling us. So look at those obstacles as opportunities. Let's forget the past. Let's focus on the forward and seek God for wisdom as you do this. Proceed in faith. After you ask for wisdom, as James says to do, proceed in faith. It's one thing to pray for wisdom. It's one thing to say, I'm, gonna, I'm one, you know, but I'm not done. Now you've got to start taking those steps forward in faith. We sing the song, Oceans. It's stepping out of that boat. That going out there, it's like, I'm going to do what? Yeah. Because you're victorious. Why not? Why not? We're one, but we're not done. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly are an awesome and mighty God, Lord, and I can say that over and over because I know how faithful you are. God, I thank you for John the Baptist. Boy, he's quite a crazy guy coming out of the wilderness, and people wondered, is he really worth listening to? But your word spoke through him. And as a great man, as a great prophet, he shared truth. He reminded us that we have to confess. We have to repent. We have to turn from our sins and turn towards you. And then that's, that's not it. We're not done there. We find victory by surrendering to you. We find victory by placing our faith through your son, Jesus Christ. But that's, that victory isn't the end of it. There's more. What should we do? That was the question they kept asking John the Baptist. What should we do? What should we do? They didn't say, what should we call ourselves? They said, what should we do? So Lord, help us. As we move forward in 2015, as obstacles come our way, help us see them as opportunity. Help us to keep our focus forward, not on the past, whether they're great accomplishments or rotten things that happened in the past. Help us to focus forward now. As we seek wisdom from you, God, we take those steps forward in faith. Lord, we're not done. So show us, Lord, what should we do? God, I thank you for this church family that we can come here and worship you today. I thank you, Lord, for a new year, a new day. Help us, Lord, to be victorious as we live for you every day. In that precious name we pray. Amen.